ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم اما بعد مرحبا بكم جميعا اهلا وسهلا This is the first class since the break for the blessed month of Ramadan. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us our good deeds that we performed in the month of Ramadan from fasting and praying and reciting the Qur'an. And we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to allow us to be consistent upon doing the good even after the month of Ramadan has ended. For worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is a lifetime affair. And the worship does not come to an end because the month of Ramadan has come to an end. Alhamdulillah, with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the classes will continue and we will resume where we left off from the explanation of the 40 hadith of Al-Imam Al-Nawawi rahimahullah. We arrive to Al-Hadith Al-Rabi' to the fourth hadith. عن أبي عبد الرحمن عبد الله ابن مسعود رضي الله عنه قال حدثنا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو الصادق المصدوق إن أحدكم يجمع خلقه في بطن أمه أربعين يوما نطفة ثم يكون علقة مثل ذلك ثم يكون مضغة مثل ذلك ثم يرسل إليه الملك فينفخ فيه الروح ويؤمر بأربع كلمات بكثب رزقه وأجله وعمله وشقي أو سعيد فوالله الذي لا إله غيره إن أحدكم ليعمن بعمل أهل أهل الجنة حتى ما يكون بينه وبينها إلا ذراع فيصبق عليه الكتاب فيعمل بعمل أهل النار فيدخلها وإن أحدكم ليعمل بعمل أهل النار حتى ما يكون بينه وبينها إلا ذراع فيصبق عليه الكتاب فيعمل بعمل أهل الجنة فيدخلها رواه البخاري ومسلم This narration is on the authority of Abu Abdurrahman the father of Abdurrahman Abdullah ibn Mas'ud May Allah be pleased with him. He said, The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam informed us. And he is the truthful one, the one whose truthfulness is confirmed. He stated, Indeed, the creation of one of you is gathered together in the womb of his mother for 40 days as a seminal fluid. 40 days. 
indeed the creation of one of you is gathered together in the womb of his mother for 40 days as seminal fluid. And then he will become a clot of blood for a similar period. And then he will become a morsel of flesh for a similar period. And then the angel is sent to him. And he blows into him the soul. And the angel is commanded with four matters or four statements. To write down his provisions, his lifespan, his actions, and whether he will be wretched or happy in the life of this world. By Allah, the one who none has the right to be worshipped except for him, indeed one of you performs the actions of the people of paradise until there's only an arm span between him and the paradise. And then that which is written overcomes him. And then he begins to do the actions of the people of the hellfire. And then he enters into it. And indeed one of you, he does the actions of the people of the hellfire until there is an arm span between him and the hellfire. And then that which is written overcomes him and he performs the acts of the people of paradise and then he enters into the paradise. This hadith is collected in the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari and Imam Muslim. The narrator of the hadith is none other than Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. May Allah be pleased with him. And Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he is a scholar from the scholars of the Sahaba. He is from the most knowledgeable of the Sahaba regarding the religion. And he has many virtues. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud has many virtues. And from the virtues of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, the Abu Bakr radiallahu an and Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu an, they both gave him the glad tidings that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Man ahabba an yaqra al Qur'ana raddan kama unzila فَلْيَقْرَأْهُ عَلَىٰ قِرَاءَةِ بِنِي أُمِّ عَبْنِ Abu Bakr radiallahu an and Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu an they mentioned to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud something which the Prophet وسلم, said about him of virtue and of course this was a means of conveying the glad tidings. For whenever the Prophet spoke good about a person, then this is something that's a virtue for that person. Because the Prophet he doesn't speak from his desires. The Prophet he spoke, he spoke from the revelation that Allah revealed to him. So the Prophet says, Whoever loves to recite the Quran in the manner that it has been revealed, whoever loves to recite the Quran in the manner that it has been revealed, then let him recite the Quran upon the recitation of the Son of the mother of the servant. Meaning, let him recite the Qur'an the way Abdullah bin Mas'ud recites the Qur'an. So what does this mean? Number one, the recitation of Abdullah bin Mas'ud was a recitation that was correct. 
a recitation that was accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the Prophet said, whoever wants to recite the Qur'an upon the manner it has been revealed. And then he mentions, then let the person recite with the recitation of Abdullah bin Mas'ud. So the way Abdullah bin Mas'ud recited the Qur'an, that's how Allah revealed the Qur'an. Another virtue that this narration entails, Barakallah Fikum, is that Abdullah bin Mas'ud was a person who had great concern for the Qur'an. And he learned the Qur'an from the Prophet Muhammad Because the Qur'an was revealed to who? The Prophet Muhammad So where did Abdullah bin Mas'ud learn? He's a companion. Where did he learn to recite the Qur'an in the manner that it has been revealed? He learned from the Prophet He learned from the Prophet. And what he learned from the Prophet He implemented. And this is the way of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu majma'in. Also from his virtues, there is a narration in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had commanded Abdullah bin Mas'ud to go up in a tree and to bring him something from the tree. So when he went up into the tree, the companions, they looked at his shins. He was, he was very skinny. He was like a bony individual. So they began to laugh. They laughed because his shins were very skinny. So the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, ما تضحقون? What are you laughing at? They said, then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, لَرِجُلُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ أَفْقَلْ فِي الْمِزَانِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ مَنْ أُحُدٍ The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, what are you laughing? Indeed, one of the legs of Abdullah weighs more upon the scales on the Day of Judgment than the mountain of Uhud. If anyone has seen the mountain of Uhud, it's a large mountain. But one leg from the skinny legs of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud weighs more on the scales on the Day of Judgment than the mountain of Uhud will weigh. The Prophet ﷺ, he sent Abdullah ibn Mas'ud to go up in the tree to bring him something from the tree, possibly the siwa. So when he climbed into the tree, you know, you lift up your garment, and you, the people seen his legs, they were very skinny. So they start laughing. So they, sort of, they laugh at his legs, because he's, he's really skinny. So man, look at his bony legs. So the Prophet said, Ma Abu, who are you laughing at? And then he went on to say, لَرَجُلُ عَبْدِ One of the legs of Abdullah weighs more, is more heavy, was heavier on the scale on the Day of Judgment than the mountain of Uhud if you was to put it on the scale. The leg, one leg, is weighs more than the mountain itself. And what is intended here, because three things on the Day of Judgment are weak. 
your deeds are weighed, the person himself is weighed, and the scrolls on which your deeds are written on are weighed. So you have some individuals that are come on your Qiyama that are big in size, physically, but they don't weigh anything on the scale. Why? Because they are deficient or they lack in doing good. The heaviness comes from your faith in your implementation of the religion. So that one leg of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud weighing more than the mountain of effort was an indication that he's a man who, who, whose faith is strong and his deeds are many as it relates to doing good. It's mentioned that Abdullah bin Mas'ud, he was a tall man and he was so tall that if he was sitting down he would be the same size as somebody who was standing up if they were standing next to him. However, his faith was bigger than his height. His faith was greater than that of the mountains. There is a narration in which the Prophet was requested by Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. He said, Ya Rasulullah, Alimni Minhad al Qawm. O Messenger of Allah, teach me from these words. He said, فَمَسَحَ رَأْسِي That the Messenger of Allah rubbed his head. وَقَالَ يَرْحَمُكَ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّكَ غُلَيَّمْ مُعَلَّمْ So he rubbed the head of Abdullah bin Mas'ud and this is a sign of mercy that we rub the heads of the youth. It's a sign, this is what the Prophet used to do as a sign of mercy, displaying love for the youth. So he said to Abdullah bin Mas'ud, may Allah have mercy upon him. And this shows the permissibility of saying, may Allah have mercy upon someone who is alive. A lot of times you say, May Allah have mercy upon him, we're speaking about someone who has passed away. But it is allowed to say, Yarhamukullah, may Allah have mercy upon you, and you're speaking to someone who is alive. Just like when a person sneezes, right? And the person says, Alhamdulillah, we say, Yarhamukullah. Yarhamukullah, may Allah have mercy upon you. So the word, or the dua, the dua, May Allah have mercy upon you. It can be used for someone who is alive. Say that again. A youth, for sure, is a sign of, uh, of compassion, a sign of mercy for the youth. And if there is a youth that is not a Muslim, we want to be merciful still to that youth. Perhaps that youth accepts Islam. The Prophet ﷺ had a youth that worked for him that was a Jew. And when he became sick and was on his deathbed, the Prophet ﷺ visited his home and requested and commanded the youth to accept Islam. And then the youth, he looked over at his father and his father said, Ati' Abu al-Qasim, obey him. And the father, the Jewish father told his Jewish son, Jewish 
son, obey him, meaning accept Islam. Because he, he knew it was the truth. He knew it was the truth. And also you can take from that, how do you think the Prophet ﷺ treated that youth, even though he wasn't a Muslim? Of course he treated him fair, he treated him in, in, in a just manner, in, in a good manner. He displayed to him the mannerisms of Islam, which was a means of softening the heart. And there's a strong possibility that when the boy would go home, he would talk about the mannerisms of the Prophet ﷺ in his Jewish household. And generally speaking, the people knew of the character of the Prophet ﷺ. Generally speaking, the people knew about the character of the Prophet ﷺ because the Prophet ﷺ, he was the best in character. As Allah mentions, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلَقًا عَظِيمٍ And indeed you are upon exalted character. No one's character was better than that of the Prophet wasallam, And this is why he is the example for all of us. And we strive to pattern ourselves after his character. So you can imagine what the young Jewish lad experienced in his interactions with the Prophet wasallam as he worked for the Prophet. So when the Prophet comes to him during his time of death, which is a serious time, you are about to leave this world and you're heading towards the hereafter and you have to stand in front of Allah and everything that comes with dying, the Prophet comes to him and calls him to Islam. And the boy, he looks at his father for approval and the father knowing the seriousness because the Jews believe in the hereafter. They believe in the hereafter. He knows the seriousness of the hereafter. And even though at times, or in most cases, they outwardly reject the truth, they know in their hearts, as Allah mentions, يَعْرِفُونَهُ كَمَا يَعْرِفُونَ أَبْنَاءَهُ Allah says about them, they know him, meaning they know the Prophet ﷺ, just like they know their own sons. I mean, they know his, they know he's truly a prophet from, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the signs and the descriptions of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ are present in the Torah, as well as in the Injil. And even though the Bible has been distorted, after Allah revealed it to the Torah and the Injil to the respective prophets, uh, Musa and Isa, and then after them, the people distorted the revelation, there are things that they have not distorted. And from the things that have not been distorted are those attributes and descriptions of Prophet Muhammad that remain in the Bible up until today. So the point of the Shahid. He said to the youth, accept Islam, say la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the youth looked at his father and his father told him to obey Abul Qasim, which is the kunya of the Prophet sallallahu He is Abul Qasim. He said, obey Abul Qasim. And he obey Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the boy accepted Islam. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he left the home praising Allah saying Alhamdulillah Alladhi anqadahu bi minan nar All praises is due to Allah the one who saved him from the fire by way of me. Another narration it mentions that Abdullah bin Mas'ud he said to the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Alimni min hadha al-Qur'an Teach me from this Qur'an So Abdullah bin Mas'ud He's asking Requesting the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam To teach him the Qur'an And this here Barakallahu Fikum is a virtue It shows that Abdullah bin Mas'ud Although he was young He was one who was diligent When it came to seeking the knowledge and this is very important that we convey this 
to our youth the examples of the youth in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Generally, Prophet Muhammad ﷺ is the example for all of mankind. After him, we have examples in the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, for they were the best of the Muslims after the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. And we find within them or their life stories, the proper way to be Muslim, the proper way to practice Islam, the proper way to believe in Allah, the proper way to be someone who has piety and other than that. And this is what helps a person to remain firm upon the deen. Reading the biography in the seerah of the Prophet wasallam, and likewise reading the biography of the prophets and the messengers before him from the stories that come in the Quran with the tafsir and the stories that come in the authentic hadith with the explanations and reading the the seer of the sahaba and the early generations of Muslims this helps a person to be firm upon his deen because in the life stories of these righteous men from the prophets and their followers they went through hard times and they were tried and tested as it relates to their faith and you will find in their stories how they remained firm and established upon the deen no matter what they were faced with and this is an encouragement for us during the times when we go through trials and tribulations and everyone is going to go through that as Allah Azza wa Jal mentions Alif Lameen Ahasiba al-Nas an yutraku an yakulu amanna wa hum la yuftanun Allah says Alif Lameen do the people think that they're going to be left alone saying that they believe and they are not tested we have to be tested we have to be tested the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned أَشَدُّ النَّاسِ بَلَاءً الْأَنْبِيَاءِ ثُمَّ الصَّالِحُونَ ثُمَّ الْأَمْثَلِ فَالْأَمْثَلِ That those who have the most severe test from amongst the people are the prophets and then the righteous and then those who are like them and then those who are like them. So even the best of the believers are tested The prophets and the messengers And they have the most severe test Because their faith is the strongest The stronger your faith The more severe the test And may Allah help us To get through our tests And trials and tribulations And protect us from Falling into despair And going astray Amin. But the, the prophets and the messengers They, they have the most severe test and for this you find that Allah mentions in the Qur'an their stories. For the stories of the prophets that have been mentioned in the Qur'an, these stories were a means of strengthening and giving the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, support. So when his people rejected him, he knows and understands that he's not the only prophet who went through this. There were other prophets who were accused of being a sorcerer and a madman and a poet and this, he's not the only one. He's not, you know, so that makes it easy upon him. That makes it easy upon him to go through what he goes through because he knows that he wasn't singled out in this affair and somebody else has gone through. You know, when you're going through hard times and you have, you see one of your brothers and he says, now I'm with you, Akhi. I'm going through the same thing. It kind of lightens your burden. It kind of makes it easy upon you. Because you're not the only one. So Allah mentions those stories in the Quran. So, I mention this to say it's important that we read the stories 
of the prophets and that which happened in the lives of the prophets and the messengers and specifically prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and then after him the stories of the companions so here we have a a youth Abdullah bin Mas'ud may Allah be pleased with him he said and requested from the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam allimni min hadha al-Qur'an teach me from this Qur'an and it shows barakallahu feekum the importance of teaching the youth the Qur'an we must be diligent in teaching the youth the Qur'an for those of us who have children we must make sure that we implement a regimen in their lives where they are learning the Qur'an and be careful with exposing your children to music because as the saying goes never does music and the Qur'an come together in the heart of one person if one is present the other one doesn't exist there when a person has his heart is strongly connected to the Quran it has no time for music but when a person is connected to music and singing and the likes then he'll be focusing on singing and music and quoting the lyrics from the songs and he will neglect the Quran If anyone at a time was listening to music or still listens to music, which you shouldn't, you can testify to this. You know songs more than you know the surah of the Quran. Because it takes the place. And the music is what the shaitan uses to distract the people from the path of Allah. And to, and to divert them from the path of Allah. So we must teach the youth the Quran. As we have here, Abdullah bin Mas'ud requesting from the Prophet Alimni min al Quran. He made the initiative. This is how we should cultivate our youth to be To make the initiative to do good And don't wait for things to come to them Strive In attaining the knowledge of the religion You have the ability to travel To go to the masjid And sit in the circles of knowledge Or the gatherings of knowledge You go don't wait for somebody to tell you Go to the masjid and go learn And this is especially for like the youth Who have accepted Islam as of recent They have to seize the time And take advantage of The free time Before becoming preoccupied When Abdullah bin Mas'ud requested the Prophet sallallahu to teach him the Quran, he said to him, "Innaka gulam mu'allam." Indeed, you are a learned youth. Abdullah bin Mas'ud said after that, "Fa'akhastu min fihi sab'ina surah." Abdullah bin Mas'ud said, "I learned." 70 chapters of the Quran directly from the mouth of the Prophet that's over half of the Quran as it relates to the chapters Abdullah bin Mas'ud learned 70 chapters directly from the mouth of the Prophet but look where it came from it started from him taking the initiative and asking and requesting the Prophet to teach him he didn't ask for money, he didn't ask for position, he asked for knowledge. And Allah commands the Prophet ﷺ in the Qur'an, 
تو کھول ربی زدنی علما کھول ربی زدنی علما سی مائی لور انکریس می نالج اللہ دے نہ کمین the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, to ask for an increase in anything not wealth not status not wives not children nothing except for asking for an increase in knowledge and this here establishes the virtues of knowledge in Islam So Abdullah bin Mas'ud learned 70 surahs directly from the mouth of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So now you see, going back to the other narration, that whoever loves to recite the Qur'an in the manner that it has been revealed, then let him recite with the recitation of Abdullah bin Mas'ud. Now, this narration here deals with the topic of belief in the divine decree. And this narration is a refutation against the Qadariya. And the Qadriya, the group from, they are broken into two groups. You have Al-Jabariya, and then you have those who are mostly known as the Qadriya. The Qadriya you have from amongst them those who say that there is, there is no Qadr. There is no Qadr. And that human beings have complete free will. And that Allah's decree is not over the will of mankind. And then you have those who are on the opposite extreme. Who say that mankind has no will at all. And he is compelled and forced by Allah to do that which he does and to say that which he says. And both groups are incorrect. As for the correct understanding of the Qadr, is the belief of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, which is balanced in the middle. That there is the decree and the will of Allah And then you have the will of mankind However, the will of mankind is under the will of Allah As Allah states وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا أَن يَشَاءَ اللَّهُ رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ And you do not will except that Allah the Lord of the creation wills So you have a will or We as human beings, we have a will But our will is under the will of Allah And it doesn't mean that we are forced to do evil. You have the you have the choice. Allah says, And we have guided him through the two paths, meaning either the path of good and the path or the path of evil. Meaning Allah showed us the ways of good and the ways of evil. But you the one who, who chooses. You the one who makes the decision and then you're held accountable for the decision that you make, whether good or bad. But Imam Al-Nawawi rahimahullah, he brings this narration as one of the fundamental principles of faith, belief in the divine decree. Belief in the divine decree consists of four matters with Ahl-Sunnah. Number one, Ilmullah. Number two, Al-Kitabah. Number three, Al-Mashia, and number four, Al-Khalq. The first matter is the knowledge of Allah. That Allah Azza wa Jal, He knows all things. And nothing escapes Allah's knowledge. 
Allah knows what's going to happen before it happens. Allah knows what would have happened had the matters He decreed not to happen would have happened, if you understand. There's some things that Allah He decreed that, that won't take place. But Allah knows what would have happened had those things taken place. Right, Allah He knows. Even though it didn't take place. Allah knows what would have happened if it would have taken place. Unlike mankind, there are things that passed us by. We don't know how it would have went. Had it happened. But Allah He knows. Allah He knows. And that's from the complete, uh, the completion and the perfection of the knowledge of Allah. Allah is Al-Aleem, the all-knowing. The all-knowing. And Allah, if we say that Allah does not know something, which was the belief of the first Qadriya that appeared in Baghdad, or appeared in Iraq. And they, used, they said that Allah does not know what the servant is going to do until after he does it. Allah does not know what the servant is going to do until after he does it. So matters are, they just come about without Allah knowing. Once it happens, Allah knows it. But prior to it happening, Allah does not know it. This is disbelief. It's kufr. Because we're saying that Allah's knowledge is naqis, is, is deficient. So... Allah describes Himself as being Al-Aleem, the All-Knowing. If you say Allah does not know what the servant is going to do until after He does it, then He's not Al-Aleem. But Allah says He's Al-Aleem. So the Sahaba from them, Abdullah bin uh, Ibn Umar and Abdullah bin Abbas, they declared those individuals not to be Muslims. Because of them rejecting the knowledge of Allah. Saying that Allah doesn't know something. That they're not Muslims. Until they believe in the Qadr. And from the Qadr is the knowledge of Allah. That Allah's knowledge is perfect. Then you have Al-Kitabah. That's number two. The writing of the knowledge. And this is what's present in this hadith here. As is mentioned that the angel is commanded with four matters. And he writes down. That's from the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The angel writes down how much provisions that person will have in his life. How long will the person live? The actions of the person during his lifetime. And whether he's going to be happy or wretched. The angel only writes based upon what Allah allows him to know from the knowledge. Other than that, the angels don't know. But Allah gives the angel the knowledge of what to write. So that comes from Allah's knowledge. And everything that's going to take place in the creation, it was written 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth. But again, that does not mean now that we are forced to do what we do. Rather, it means that Allah's knowledge is perfect. Allah knows those who are going to make hajj this year. He's been Is the person forced to make hajj? No, the person chooses to make hajj. He spends his wealth and he makes hajj. Allah knew that the person was going to make the choice. So that's what's written. The choices that you are going to make. And then there are things, yes, that are beyond our control that... Allah mandates to happen to us and we have no control of it. Like death. We don't have control over it. That's a part of the decree of Allah when you're going to die. But if it was left up to us, we'll keep living. <laughs> we'll keep living. We keep going. We'll be old and gray and everything falling apart. We still say, not yet, right? Not yet. That's mankind. So you have the knowledge of Allah, the writing of the knowledge, and then the will of Allah. 
nothing can happen in creation except that Allah allows it to happen. And that's good and bad. However, we do not attribute the evil or the bad to Allah. And Allah allowing evil to be present in the creation is based upon His wisdom. There's a, a wisdom behind there being evil. And from those wisdoms, it's a test for the people. And lastly, the creation. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of everything. Allah is the creator of everything. Everything we see in creation comes from Allah's creation. And nothing has brought itself into existence. It's not possible for that which doesn't exist to bring itself into existence. So you have the creator, al-khaliq, and then you have the makhluk, the creation. So these are the four matters as it relates to the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The last point is the description of Abdullah bin Mas'ud of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he stated Haddathana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa huwa sadiqul masduq that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, informed us and he is truthful, one who speaks the truth. The Messenger وسلم, used to teach the companions the religion and indeed he was the best of teachers. And that which he taught them was the truth and the companions they believed wholeheartedly and that which the Prophet taught them. They didn't have any doubts whatsoever. And it's upon us to follow that example. That we believe what the Prophet ﷺ has stated. Even if we haven't seen it or we haven't experienced it, we believe that he's true. If it is established that a narration is authentically reported on the Prophet ﷺ, you have to believe it. Don't doubt the words of Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Now if there's an issue regarding the authenticity of a narration, then that's something different. Because the doubt is going to be in relation to the authenticity of the narration, not doubt in relation to what the Prophet said So if a narration is not authentic on the Prophet Okay, we don't accept it But that which is proven to be authentically reported on the Prophet We accept it and we believe it And be careful of those people who say we don't need hadith There's no way to practice Islam without authentic hadith Because the details of the prayer are in hadith, not in the Quran the details of fasting, the zakat, how to make hajj, all of these detailed affairs are mentioned in the books of the Sunnah. So if the people tell you, we don't need the hadith, just read the Quran, okay then, how do you know how to call the adhan? How do you know you recite Surah Al-Fatiha, and then you recite a Surah after, and then say Allahu Akbar, and say Subhanahu Rabbi Al-Azim, and then you come up and Allah, where is all of that in the Quran? With the details, that is. Yes, you find in the Quran the mentioning of bowing, the mentioning of prostrating, and the likes, but not what to say specifically, how to say it, right? Or the amount of times you should say it, and other than that, right? So the Prophet ﷺ is truthful. If the narration is established that it's an authentic narration, how do you always accept it? And the the best books of hadith are the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. These are the, the strongest books of the collections of hadith, the most authentic books of hadith. The Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari and Sahih of Imam Muslim. Then you have the Sunan of Abu Dawood, you have the Sunan of Al-Tirmidhi, the Sunan of Al-Nasai, the Sunan of Ibn Majah, you have the Sunan of Ad-Darimi, you have the Muwatta of Imam Malik, and the Musnad of Imam Ahmed. These nine books are considered the mother books of hadith. But the best of the nine 
الصحيح بإمام البخاري إن الصحيح بإمام مسلم. ها؟ Riyadh al-Salihin is a, is a compilation from different books by Imam al It doesn't have an isnat, it doesn't have a chain of narrative. If you look in the Riyadh al-Salihin, you see Imam al he mentions the name of the Sahabi and then he mentions the Hadith. He doesn't mention who narrated on the Sahabi, who narrated on that. But if you look in the book of Bukhari, you see Hadathana Fulan, Qala Hadathana Fulan, Qala Hadathana, you see a chain. So this is what's intended by the books of Hadith. Those books that have a chain of narrators Where you can check and look at who each individual is As it relates to those type of books The best of these books are the Sahih of Imam Bukhari and the Sahih of Imam Muslim Now And remember the Sunnah is a part of the religion So the Sunnah is going to be preserved Just as the Quran is preserved And whatever has come from the Prophet ﷺ is the truth The Prophet was not a liar the Prophet Wasallam told uh, Abdullah ibn Amr al-As when the people were criticizing him for writing down the statements of the Prophet Wasallam, he said, write what you wish for nothing comes off of his tongue except for the truth. Write. And this is a proof that hadith were written in the time of the Prophet as the Orientalists and those who have doubts, they try to say, well, hadith were not written except for 200 years after the Prophet ﷺ, focusing on uh, Imam Bukhari. But there, are, there were writings prior to the Sahih of Imam uh, Bukhari. The Sahih of Imam Bukhari is not the first book of hadith that was written. The Muwatta of Imam Malik was before the Sahih of Imam Bukhari, as Sahih al Jami' was before. And this is why. Uh, Imam al-Shafi'i Rahimahullah He said the most authentic book of hadith Was the Muwatta, was the Muwatta. He mentioned this because the, the compilation of Imam Bukhari Didn't exist at that time But there were books Remember Zuhri and others The people wrote hadith Even companions wrote Abu Huraira radiallahu an He said that Abdullah ibn Ammah Had more hadith than him Because he used to write And he didn't write Serious affair. Inshallah Ta'ala, we will stop at this point. Whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala alone. Whatever is incorrect, it is from myself. Subhanaka Allahumma bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha ila ant. Astaghfirullah wa ta'ala.